Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. Today, we are on Zoom. I'm your host, Ashley Sanchez, here with Erin Keller. And we also are joined by our big game biologist, Carrie Hubner and Travis Allen out of our eastern region. We have another update on our moose populations, which people always love to hear about. We were just saying that, Carrie, how you're like, are you sure you want to do another podcast on this? And we're like, yes. <laughs> People love to hear about it. So let's just jump right in. The reason we came to you, Carrie, about this was you had just sent an update on our populations and how they were doing. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. It seems like everywhere you go, everybody's kind of wondering what's going on with moose. Are they um, just kind of staying stagnant? Are our populations growing and what's happening? And and we're still in the infancy and learning about our moose, but um, one thing is clear that every year we see more and more. Um, this year, uh, we've just been kind of uh, surveying moose at, anecdotally on our other surveys. We do postseason deer surveys in December and uh, elk surveys usually in January and February. And this year, uh, when you know I was doing my flights, well, any of us game biologists, if we were doing our flights and and saw moose or moose sign, we we looked into it. And this year, we're happy to report that we uh, actually were able to classify 34 moose, and so that's pretty exciting because we uh, have been getting lots of reports from hunters and and folks in our our database. But when we get those reports, they're fantastic, and we really appreciate that. But you never know how often hunters or people outdoors are seeing the same moose and reporting them to us more than once. But these were 34 individual moose that we saw. Um, they had calves with them. There were bulls, and uh, we were we were super excited because that's definitely the most we've ever seen uh, during our survey season. I was going to ask, when you used to go out for your surveys, was that normal to just see a moose all of a sudden? Like, it sounds like this is just becoming a normal thing where you see. You know, where we where we could almost always count on them was in, in our unit 081, which is the extreme northeastern part of Nevada. Um, we would see them there pretty regularly on elk flights. But the reason is, is there's um, Idaho populations of moose that uh, that summer in Idaho and then come down in winter. Um, in Nevada because the snow's a little less severe on, on our part of the line there. But um, every year we're just seeing an increased uh, number that, so obviously they're, they're spreading out. We get um, observations all throughout Elko County now. And, and that's the reason why Travis is joining us today. I've been kind of the primary moose biologist, just having most of most of the moose sightings happen in, in Northeast corner in area seven and eight where I've been, but they're starting to move into area six and uh, Trav picked up a couple on his survey um, as well this year. How has that been Travis? Yeah, it's been really exciting to, to finally get some spillover from seven into six. Um, seems like every year we go out now we're, we're catching moose primarily on our elk surveys in, in area six. Um, haven't had as much luck on the deer surveys, but it's been pretty exciting to to be, you know, ferrying over some country or working some country to look for elk and you see those individual bigger strided tracks through the snow where you're not seeing, you know, big, you know, big groups of cows or even smaller, smaller bull groups. So 
you kind of know once you see that to start keying in um, and looking for looking for moose. And if you have a little bit of extra time while you're there to start working some drainages and and try to try to luck your way into one. But it's been it's been good. We saw a couple bulls um, last year and then we flew in and saw our cow that we have radio collared um, on elk flight this year. And she had a calf with her. And then we we stumbled into a cow um, working our way out of some country. Um, up in six as well. And we tried to put a radio collar on her, but we ended up finding a bull just about a half mile away. Um, so there's, there's quite a few moose in that country. Um, and it's been, it's been fun, fun getting out and seeing them. Yeah. Very cool. And for people who aren't familiar with it, um, can you explain what it means when you, you collar them and what the purpose of that is? Travis, do you want to take that or sure. up to you too? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're just we're we're still in kind of the infancy of learning exactly how these um, moose are distributed and what type of habitats they're using and and what their home ranges are, what type of movements they make throughout the year. So, what we do is we we go in and we you know uh, capture that individual and we fit them with a radio collar around the neck, and that radio collar speaks to the satellites and it takes GPS locations and transmits that back to us and gives us the ability to check in on them um, on the ground and to monitor them remotely through the computer. And uh, we can gain a lot of valuable information doing so. So the exciting thing to report this year is we've had 10 callers. We had uh, seven that were made for cows and uh, three that were outfitted for bulls. They need to be a little bit bigger with an expandable neck for those, those bulls. And uh, we just got our last two callers out um, this year. We've had them for about three years, but it's been a little challenging to find the moose when the capture crews are actually here. And so now we've got all 10 callers out. So 10 cows um, and, or sorry, seven cows and, and three bulls out there. And so we're going to learn lots of things. And last summer, both Trav and I uh, uh, followed up on our cow moose and, um, you know, we can get, so, so you get the satellite, uh, point that you can go out to on the ground. But as you get close, we can use telemetry to get really hone in on where that cow is and then get a visual to see if she has a calf. And so we're able to go in and see if she actually had a had a calf or not. And and it appears that our moose are doing quite well. There's uh, one cow that that had two sets of twins already since she's been collared three years. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, that's a little bit unique and um, they seem to be surviving and doing really well. That is, and you mentioned um, when we first, when you first started noticing moose in Nevada, or you said you've been seeing them for a long time, but it was mainly that northeastern corner of the state because they were coming from Idaho. So are these moose, are they here in Nevada? Like, are they Nevada moose now that we're seeing more of them, or are they just coming down and staying for the winter? No, so only 16 um, of those 34 that we saw were part of those that are using that border and doing that Idaho-Nevada movement. All the others, we believe, are, are full-time residents in Nevada. That's what our caller data is showing, showing us. And they're, you can tell they're figuring out their habitats. For example, there was a bowl that we put a caller on last year that was wintering in a certain spot last year, came down and, and summered further south, and then he ended up wintering there. And so, because um, as you guys know, in, in most wildlife populations, you know, elk and deer are pretty um, site fidelic to their to their wintering grounds. But you can tell that the moose are just kind of moving around. And when they find a good place to be, they stay. And 
And the reason why I say you can tell they're moving around on, on one of my elk surveys this year, it was in the southern part of uh, zero weight one. There was a, a cow we saw right in the middle of a bunch of juniper, which is definitely not typical moose habitat. But chances are she was down there, you know, just exploring, exploring Nevada, seeing where she might want to live. And um, so, I, you know, we catch them in some weird places. But I think what we're finding, at least on the ones that we have collared, if it's they're in good habitat, they'll stick around and, and use that habitat all year. But they're not making great big movements um, They're Once they find a drainage that they've got everything they need in it, they'll stick pretty close. Have you seen any in juniper this year? <laughs> Are they liking the juniper? Well, that's like the that. thing. Like I said, I think we just happened to catch her there. She was yeah. probably headed somewhere else. Yeah, because wow. that's the thing where we get reports um, of, you know, somebody will say there's been a moose on their private property or something that's not very good moose habitat and they'll stay like a month and then next thing you know they're gone and so i think that's what's happening and and in addition to starting to see more in area six we have had a couple um in the rubies so south of i-80 um down there and we sure wanted to get one of those collared but we just weren't able to find one of them they're they're just so much fewer down there that it's really hard to to find them um when the capture crew's here and we've got the right snow conditions and all of that but this is definitely not the end of our, our research on, on moose, and we'll get more collars and hopefully get one collared um, down in some of these expanding areas. That has to be really cool as a biologist. You've seen, like you said, you do deal with deer and elk, and they kind of know their winter range, but to see an animal trying to figure it out, that has to be cool. Yeah, it really is. There's a couple places, like the ones I first started to see, if I can go back to, you know, these serviceberry patches and and they're starting to become, you know, where they found found some place that they like, and you can find them a little bit more reliably. So as they get more comfortable, they'll start setting up their own, you know, uh, winter ranges that that work for them. Yeah, I'm glad we did this podcast because I think usually we're talking about like, okay, everyone, we do have this population of moose in the state, but I feel like we really are starting to learn about these populations, and people are going to love to hear this. We still get the comments is there really moose in Nevada? And we're like, yes. <laughs> Aaron, were you going to say something? Yeah. Um, so the moose that we do have, are they like singular? Do they, like the cows, are they kind of by themselves or is it like elk where like you'll see groups of cows? How's that work in moose? It's, uh, I'll take this one and you can jump in from what you saw, Trav, but it's really weird. Moose are very, very solitary. Um, the collars that we have, even if there's like three cows in one basin, three cow moose living in one basin, they're never together. They, they just, they just kind of pass through. And even one of the cows that we collared this last winter, she was with a bull when the crew saw her and, and captured her. But then I've been watching her um, this past week and she hasn't been back with that bull because the bull is collared too. Hasn't been back with him yet. So they they kind of check in on it. I get the feeling they know where each other are, but they don't choose to, to be together. And I know the ones that we have collared in six are um, kind of far apart, but it'll be interesting to see if their paths cross. Yeah, there's been quite a few sightings up in that country during the fall of multiple bulls and a couple cows. And at least one of the observations had a, a cow and a bull um, together. And you could imagine that being the case during that time of year. Um, but so far, the, the card animals are pretty far apart and we haven't noticed any interaction between any other moose and the, the one card cow we've had on for over a year now. So pretty animals are like they're, they're solid, you know, being alone. Mm -hmm. 
Does that make it easier or harder to estimate like a population? It's together so you know that you're not count double counting them. So yeah, it's it can be very difficult. Um, and then the other thing that's hard, we're, we're saying that we're running into moose while we're doing additional surveys, but you almost, we're about at the point where we need to go out and do a specific moose survey because these moose are living in places that our elk and deer can't live. Um, they would be way too much snow. And moose are primarily eating browse. They're, you know, eating on willows, um, aspen, mahogany, and they can be in two, three foot of snow and, and live in that country because they can still access the feed, whereas our deer and our elk wouldn't be able to get to the forage that they need in the winter. So um, that's the amazing part is there's a bunch of country that we would have to go fly that we normally don't that's probably holding moose. Um, and so, yeah, I every um, state that I've talked to has a difficulty with estimating how many moose they truly have. But most states, it's tough because they've got a bunch of thick timber that they're trying to look into. We have a better chance just because at least when like all the aspen are dead, a black moose in the snow really stands out. So when you do fly over, it's pretty easy to see. Yeah, I bet it's pretty exciting to see a big black animal out there. Yeah, we get pretty excited. And the day I don't get excited to see a moose will be the day I should retire. <laughs> I know every time we post a photo. It. Yeah, every time we post a photo, everybody wants to yeah. Yeah. Blows up on everything. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think that's a good time to take a break. So we will be right back. You are listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking about one of our favorite topics, moose, with our two big game biologists, Carrie Hubner and Travis Allen, who are now moose biologists. You guys have become moose biologists at this point. Um, before the break, we were talking about our growing moose population, and we wanted to come back and talk about where you guys are going. Um, Carrie, you had explained we have 10 callers on moose right now that we've been tracking um, can you explain what we're, what are our next steps moving forward? So now that we have um, 10 moose collared, uh, we will continue to follow their movements um, and that, and you can do an analysis once you get a certain amount of collars out there where you can do a habitat suitability index. Basically, that's just figuring out where moose are choosing to be, and then we can figure out how much of that type of habitat we have available in Nevada. So because um, they're, they're choosing a certain type of habitat, right? It's going to be more of those riparian corridors, um, aspen stands, uh, some of our higher elevation mountain stuff, you know, it's not going to typically be in the greasewood and the juniper and that type of thing. So that would be the next step. We'll collect um, all of this information, figure out what our, our moose specifically in Nevada um, are choosing, and then um, we can, from you know, different databases, we can tell how much of that type of habitat we have in Nevada. Then we could start to get our minds around how many moose we could potentially have in the state. And then we will continue our monitoring efforts. Um, 
the the collared moose do help us find other moose um, because sometimes they are together, um, whether it's wintertime or the summertime, and, and they'll help lead us to other moose. But then we will also probably ramp up our efforts with you know, our aerial survey and time we're spending out um, and, and keeping track. We will also ask that other people help us uh, with that by just reporting them. And then as we get that, that overall um, database and, and knowledge of how many moose we think we might have, then we just keep moving forward, um, you know, see, see what our population is and then see what we think our population could be. Uh, because this isn't something on, um, like for example, when we reintroduced elk into the state, we specifically went out, we, we knew we had some elk habitat, we got elk from other states and released them here in Nevada, but these moose have just chose us. And so we're kind of almost being reactionary more so than we were progressive about figuring out um, what to do. And so maybe there'll be a day where we figure out that, you know, moose habitat in central Nevada, there's, there's moose habitat in the Toyabis or something like that, but chances are they won't find it on their own. And so maybe someday we will get to where we move some moose around, but we're, we're far from that now, but it, it's definitely potential in the future. Does it, does it make it more exciting that the moose chose Nevada? It, I think it does. Yeah, yeah, you feel like you're, you're chosen. Um, and so it's, it's given, it's a lot of indication. It's, Obviously, they're, they like what they um, have found here in Nevada and decided to stay, so that's fantastic. And then also, it lets you know that the populations in our neighboring states are doing really well, because that's what happens. Because they're kind of solitary, um, there's a density thing that where that once there's too many moose in a certain area, or they feel there's too many moose in a certain area, then they all move out of there and into other, occupy other habitats. And so that's probably what's happened is, you know, the southern Idaho populations are doing really well, and the northwestern Utah populations are doing really well. And that's probably feeding um, our population. And, and once our population is established, you know, as we mentioned, they're recruiting calves and growing, and then those calves won't know any different than um, choosing our, our Nevada landscape. Erin, you asked a really good question during the break. Um, basically, if this has ever happened anywhere else where all of a sudden we have moose in, in this state, <laughs> and you were saying um, states have definitely moved them there, but you don't know that this has happened in other states. Yeah, I haven't. So most other Western states, they've either had moose for forever, um, or they um, have had a trap and transplant program. And I know that happened in Utah and it may have happened, I believe it happened in Washington to where they, they moved moose there and they have a, a you know, maybe enhanced their population. They probably already had some. So um, other states have definitely taken an active role in increasing their moose uh, populations. But I'm not sure if, if I, I know of many other um, states where move, moose have just moved in on their own. Yeah, I think it's exciting that they, uh, you know, they just, the moose just cut all the red tape and they just did it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly makes it easier because when you, when you introduce or reintroduce a species, there is a lot of work that goes into that, you know, a lot of planning, a lot of, just a lot of work. And so, yeah, they, they have definitely made this a lot easier on us. And then I wanted to ask, so we have moose, there's moose around. At what point does, or how does the Department of Wildlife I mean, we're moose management plan is probably done or being done. But then when do we go in and like get our hands in on like moving them, I guess, or helping or helping with movements or um, actually actively uh, moving them around? 
maybe actively moving them around like trying to like you said the toyabis if we say that's a good spot for them like how, how is it years is it probably because we're we're still so new into um you know making sure that they have found habitat that they are surviving and thriving in you know we've they've been around for a while but it really has only been probably the last five ten years that they've like put roots down um, in, in Nevada and um, started reproducing here and that. And so I think it's going to take a little while for us to just make sure, because as responsible game managers, we want to make sure um, that we wouldn't put them somewhere where they couldn't um, thrive, you know? So as we learn more about their habitat needs and, and what we have, we'll be able to figure out if there's carrying capacity and availability in other mountain ranges in Nevada. So, and, and who knows, they might just get there on their own. Like we say, first, first they were really in Northeastern and now they're in six and we're finding them in 10. Um, we've had a couple of reports in the Santa Rosas over the years. And so they might be doing it already and we just haven't picked up on it yet. It is kind of yeah. cool to see where they're going to go on their own. It's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh, they definitely um, have long legs and use them. <laughs> Aaron, I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, it's good. We're, uh, that's the Zoom life, you know. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, at what point do we go to other states and kind of augment the population, right? Or does that is that in the works? I guess because I have you guys trapped, I can just ask all my silly questions. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be to be determined. We're going to have to determine whether we need that augmentation. Um, so far, they seem to be doing well in occupying that. I mean, every year we're seeing more and more. And so if we felt like that um, we they needed a boost or they needed our help, or we would like to introduce some different genetics maybe, or something like that. That's where we will go outside and, and get more involved. But um, I think, I think uh, we're so early in this now that we have a lot more to learn um, before we decide if that's necessary. Um, but we'll definitely, I mean, now that they're here, we will embrace them and, and, uh, and, you know, decide if there's any potential habitat projects we could do to um, enhance moose habitat, that type of thing. Um, I've already started discussing it with my BLM partners, you know, when we're, when we're talking about projects and that type of thing to not forget about moose because it's something we normally don't consider. And so um, it's just all becoming part of the conversation and, and pretty soon it'll just become the normal operating procedure to be considering them in management, um, whether it's vegetation management, population management, or, or what we do going forward. That's great. I think maybe I'm just excited to go see moose, you know. <laughs> well, you well come on up. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, you said you wouldn't throw them any curveballs. I know. Right? <laughs> You're asking all kinds of questions. Um, and then I wanted to ask, so you did bring up like other mountain ranges that could have moose. If somebody sees a moose, like what's our process to tell us about that observation? I'll let Travis handle this one. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, many folks just end up going to, to Facebook and, and planting that observation on Facebook. And that that's a that's a decent way. We we as biologists kind of patrol some of that stuff and we can reach out to folks and, and a lot of the people out in this neck of the woods um, do know some of us and they can continue to reach out for us. Um, I do believe we have an actual email account set up for Moose, or at least, uh, do we have an observation email for that? I, I can't remember. 
Well, you can do um, endowinfo.org uh, always. Um, use the main um, endow account and those uh, get forwarded on. So. That, that's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah, that's the best route. For a second, we were getting so many observations. I was thinking we had an email too. <laughs> but yeah, endowinfo. Yeah. And so all that, all those observations are going into that that large moose database that we have um, that we've been compiling, and we've got you know hundreds of observations dating back to the 1950s, and you know some of those come from old newspaper articles or pictures that people have taken, and um, over the years, and and now we're just plugging in all the observations we're getting from from just the interested public and sportsmen and women, and um, it's it's growing rapidly. Well, I'd like to mention too, the ones that we have collared, we also have air tagged. And so if anybody is out there, you know, maybe take a second look if you do see a moose that if maybe it is one of our callers and they've got different colored air tags with different numbers in them. So a lot of times it's hunters with, uh, you know, good spotting scopes or something. If they get a chance to uh, report which, which moose are seeing, that will help as well because then we'll know whether it's one of our collared moose or a moose that we didn't know of before. So that can be very helpful. Yeah, and especially if they're observing calves with them as well. We don't have time to get out every single month and, and keep track of calves like we'd, we'd like to, but uh, any, any observations of cows with calves is always, is always great for us. Yeah, I think the last few times we had you guys on, or last time at least, that we had you on to talk about this, we talked about the importance of people reporting moose sightings. So they're still as important as ever, it sounds like, to help you guys track Absolutely. Yeah, because they're kind of elusive. So um, as our hunters get out in the field or just folks, you know, spending time in the hills, if, if they see them, we're still very excited to get those observations from them. And then you just want as much information as possible about the location. So yeah, you know, some people, um, some people aren't really excited to um, express where they they're specific hunting area was or whatever, but you can be as, as specific or vague as you want with just, if, if they can tell if it's a bull or a cow or a calf, which I know not everybody knows, but most of the time people can tell the, the difference. And then a, just a general location, because we know moose are moving around a lot. We don't need the exact, um, you know, GPS data point, but um, if a drainage or something is certainly helpful. Perfect. Any last words you want to get out there before we wrap up here? Any last questions, Aaron? You had a lot there. <laughs> no, I don't. I think I'm good. I think I'll, I'll send send a couple maybe through email, so I don't yeah. as while we're recording. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we are just we're happy that everybody is so excited to learn about moose. We're learning about them, um, and we will uh, take the public and you all along on this journey as we uh, find out more about them. We're sure excited they're here. Yeah, and thank you so much for keeping us looped in on it. I love that you include me on your emails with all the fun moose information. So we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for looping back with us and giving us the opportunity to share some of this news. Of course. Well, thank you both for being here and thanks everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.